Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. If you spend much time rubbing elbows in Canada's literary circles, you may be familiar with tonight's guest. Andrew Piper is an award-winning Canadian author who has gained a reputation for having writing as rock-solid as it is creepy. His novels can be found on bestsellers lists and literary award ceremonies, both in Canada and abroad. But as impressive and as interesting as the life and craft of a rock star writer is, I invited Andrew here today to talk about something altogether different. See, something happened to Andrew Piper last summer. It happened during a weekend spent at his cottage in rural Ontario. Andrew saw a UFO, and his life has never been the same. After coming to terms with what he saw and how it has affected him, Andrew wrote a very moving opinion piece in the Globe and Mail titled, I Saw a UFO Last Summer, I Haven't Been the Same Since. I invited him to the show to share his story and his experience with nighttime listeners. And that's what we're about to hear. In tonight's episode, we will be joined by author Andrew Piper for a discussion surrounding his UFO sighting and the lasting effects it has had on him. Let's just start with an introduction. Tell me a little bit about who you are and some of your background. Sure, yeah. I uh, am, um, I live in Toronto where I am now, and um, I am a novelist. So I've been writing fiction uh, full-time um, for the last, boy, like sort of, you know, 23, 24 years. Uh, prior to oh, that, wow. I was trained as a, as a uh, went to law school, but I never practiced law. I kind of, I did enough law to recognize that I didn't want to make my living at that. So, and, <laughs> and I was been very, very lucky to, to be able to make my living writing fiction since then. So. But born and raised in southern Ontario in a small town and um, have always been have always been interested in um, in a kind of a not quite scholarly way, but in a, a lot of my novels do employ elements of the supernatural or the paranormal or the fantastical in some way. But um, uh, so I've been kind of an amateur student of the strange for a long time. Nice. And now it's not every day that a best-selling author writes a like an opinion piece in a major Canadian newspaper sharing their personal UFO encounter or sighting. When this happened to you and you made the decision to write about it, you know, publicly like that, was was there any concern in your mind about how people would view you or view this encounter? Yes. Um, the short answer is yes. And I think, frankly, if, if this had happened to me and I considered this very question you've put to me now five years ago, 10 years ago, I might have been like, look, it's not worth it. Like, I, you know, I didn't make anything from writing the piece. It's not mm-hmm. it's not furthering my career in any way. But 
I, I'm just now, I guess, you know, at a point in my career and maybe a point in my life where I kind of, I don't care uh, <laughs> what, what potential kind of, um, you know, how some people might view this or something like that. And secondly, mm. I am secure in the, the position that it's true, that, that what I experience is true. I'm not, um, so when you, you know, when you're, when you're fortified by the truth and when you're fortified by your confidence in your own testimony as a witness to something, then a mm. lot of the potential kind of noise goes, goes away. Mm-hmm. As well, I, I don't know how closely you follow the topic of UFOs, but it's it's a, it's looked at slightly different now than it was even five or ten years ago, where it seems a bit more credible of a topic. Yet, still coming forward publicly is going to get some odd looks from people. And in what you did when when you released this this, I guess you, I would just call it an opinion piece. You know millions of people in Canada have, have seen, you know, your face in your name in an article about a UFO sighting. Like before we get into what you actually saw and in the effect it had on you, what did like friends and family think of, you know, you coming forward with something like this? Well, it's interesting. You know, they, they're kind of, made, I guess they're more or less used to, I'm <laughs> sort of the one artist of the family. And okay. I come from a family that is primarily scientists and, and, and medical practitioners of one kind or another. And so uh, they're like, well, here's Andrew, not so much here's Andrew going off again, but it, that, that my interest in this, these areas is always been, um, you know, sort of counterintuitive to their inclinations. And so mm-hmm. I, it was less, less, coming from them then frankly the greater response has been from complete strangers who Hmm. um, have very deeply held preconceived notions in about these topics whether they are um absolutist kind of believers in ufos are uh, vehicles from uh, a planet uh and they are aliens who are visiting us etc it's and you know that whole that one particular rabbit hole Mm -hmm. Or the, the oppositional rabbit hole, which is, this is complete nonsense. There are ways to explain this. And let me explain it for you. I'm going to explain your experience to you. That was the, um, not quite equal to it, to be honest. Like, I would say probably the response that I received directly personally has been 80%. Wow, that's amazing. I've had experiences a lot like that. And 20% saying, you didn't, you didn't have the experience you think you had. I'll tell you what you saw interesting well, well let's get into what actually happened so we're, we're set the scene for me where is it that that you were when you had this experience i was at our cottage um where we have in the last sort of four years um developed a we I bought a piece of vacant land in a as a remote a place as i could find i really wanted a place where i could work and where i could bring my family and and, and quiet so this is a lake about two and a half hours north of Kingston, Ontario. So okay. it's quite remote Eastern Ontario, Canadian shield, uh, you know, mix of trees, old forest. And it's a lake that is very quiet. Um, we would have on a very, on the bit, you know, Canada day weekend at the peak of the afternoon, if it was sunny, you might see two fishing boats out there and guys just quietly, you know, having a beer okay. and casting a line. It's uh, and I love it for all those reasons. So it was there. And it was an even quieter time of the year. It was early September. And my friend and I, a, a friend that I've had since grade school, we played hockey together. We were in a, a rock band together in high school. 
uh, known this guy forever. We were up there for a weekend together, just, you know, sort of hanging out. And this evening, um, we were sitting by the fire. It was sort of a slightly cooler evening. Sitting by the fire, it was was that time of year where there was no mosquitoes, no bugs. We were just sitting out. It was a beautiful evening. And I was facing, our cottage was located on a point. So you can sort of, the lake is around you three sides. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm looking out the sort of south-facing part of the the point. So to my left would have been the east and uh, you know, about a, about a two hours drive away is Ottawa and to my right is the West and, um, you know, sort of Toronto is four hours away this way. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting by the fire and, um, we weren't talking about anything. We were talking about old sort of high school, funny stories, you know, like who, who you went to the prom with, whatever happened to this person, that person, that kind of recollection you have with old pals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt it's very hard to uh, describe, but I felt a sensation that I've just sort of now come to just term a strangeness. There was a strange um, moment of awareness. And it, was, I was, it wasn't fear. It wasn't like, you know how sometimes people say that there's that sensation of being watched or you turn around and you, you have a spooky feeling. It wasn't like that, but there was a, a um, almost a suspension of of the moment a little bit like you know when you're walking and you feel the environment change before a a rain comes it was analogous to that um and it drew my attention i was aware of something to my left prior to my seeing something to my left so within the space of perhaps this is this is all happening within maybe three or four seconds Mm -hmm. a feeling a strangeness, a sort of an internal clocking of, oh, something strange is happening in this environment. Mm -hmm. And then a visual sense of something to my left, a bright light, but the bright light um, wasn't perceived. That is to say, it wasn't like I was bathed in light. There wasn't a, but I was aware of, oh, there's a light to my left that I was, it was almost um, distracting without it again being physically. So my friend, for example, didn't see any of this. He was not aware of the strange feeling, nor was he aware of the, uh, of the light that I felt. But it drew my attention to the left, to the east, and I immediately saw in the sky above the lake um, an orb. So it, it initially presented as a circular sort of pie shape um, of a dull um yellowish brownish but it changed it was constantly constantly changing uh color of light the orb was not it was not huge it would have been you know if it had been a full moon for example it might have been double that perhaps triple the size of a full moon but certainly not mistakable for the moon nor a planet nor a star it was immediately presented as that's not a heavenly body of any kind it's Mm. something else um and i said to my friend what's that? And he saw it immediately too. And so it was at that point that he you know, joined me in the testimony of, of seeing this thing. Um, and from there it was, it, we were, we just, we just watched it, you know, we watched it change. It changed both in shape. It had a certain um, almost organic quality to it. So again, it wasn't sort of like a fixed, 
here's the circle it moved in. It was mm-hmm. as it moved, it sort of changed shape. It kind of it bent, it, it undulated, it stretched, and it dropped from whatever its initial altitude was. It was very hard to determine its distance from where we were because mm-hmm. it was hard to determine its size, you know, it, from, from where we were. I would guess it would have been, you know, just beyond the end of our lake, which is roughly a couple of kilometers long. Okay. It dropped down sort of very, initially sort of slowly and then quite quickly down in a way that I would say would be impossible, more than possible for uh, any kind of aircraft, fighter aircraft. It was not a helicopter, certainly. And, and, a, and a, even a drone would not, would not have that kind of the variation in, in, in distance. It, it wouldn't have that capacity. Hmm. Um, and as it was dropping, small sort of secondary, small um, points of light came out from it and left in the briefly in the night sky um, etchings, you know, almost like sort of, if you imagine sort of taking a pin to a blackboard, just sort of little lines that then disappeared, dropped down, um, rose up at a, at a very quickly at a, at a diagonal, and then shot off at an at a impossible rate. Was there any, like, aside from seeing the object in the sky, like, did you hear anything or see its light, like, lighting up what was below it? Or did it seem to just affect, you know, the sky that it was appearing in? There was no sound whatsoever. It was a very quiet lake, as I mentioned, and it was a very quiet night. Um, so quiet that we, you could hear, and we did hear at earlier points, you know, that um, a neighbor, by neighbor, I mean at the far end of the lake, um, it's his dog you know, uttering a bark. And that would have been prior to this, you know, the loudest thing of the night. And wow. so you could, if you heard anything and it made, it, uh, it made no sound whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, there was no, there was no secondary sort of uh, ambient light that emitted from it, but it demonstrated uh, changes in its colorations. And almost like, again, internally, what was I found in fascinating is as I was watching it was, the nature of the light itself, it wasn't like a headlight, which is like a, you know, a steady, a steady shape and a steady mm-hmm. mass or volume or quantity of light. It, it, it altered in shape as well as the quality of the light, as well as the shaping within the light. So it almost was like at certain points um, looking into someone's, the iris of someone's eye or mm-hmm. uh, those kind of uh, striations and, and lines within the light, all of mm-hmm. which are, you know, I think remove it from the possibility of it being a drone or frankly, any other aircraft. Yeah. And then, and at the same time, it's size would kind of lead you away from thinking, you know, it's a far off aircraft or drone or whatnot, but aside from trying to guess now what it may have been at the time, did you like, what, did you have any idea of what you were looking at? Like, what were your first kind of after it disappears or flies off or whatnot, your, your friend and you, you and your friend, like, what did you think you had seen? I think I said that was a UFO. Um, again, you know, n- not from the point of view of that was an alien craft or uh, there was no sense of, I certainly, and I still don't have, a, have mm. a, uh, a conviction about what it was or where it came from, but mm. it was very clear to me and to my friend, we had both agreed immediately in answer to your question. We were both in immediate agreement of 
that was really weird. That's something was, special. Absolutely. Yeah. There was, he, neither of us attempted and nor would, would we attempt to explain it away because it was so clearly inexplicable as against would have been the normal catalog of, of normal things you'd see in the sky. So mm -hmm. there was an initial kind of uh, just a, you know, confirmation between the two of us of that was a UFO. We, we are now those people that, you know, you sort of hear about who have, you know, seen something strange in the sky. We've now entered that, that club of people who have, who have had that experience. Mm -hmm. Now in, in your piece that you wrote uh, for the Globe and Mail, you, you kind of got into the idea of, seeing it wasn't really what had the impact on you immediately, but really like kind of the after effect of having experienced something so strange left this massive, you know, change on your life. Can you, can you tell me a bit about how it went from, you know, I saw something weird to, I now look at the world in a different way. Like how did, what led to this having such a big impact on, you know, how you see things? Well, you know, I think it's, um, as I was mentioning, you know, I, I make my my living writing fiction that deals. I've never written about UFOs or aliens or anything of that kind, but but broadly speaking, um, the the aspects of existence that are, um, you know, supernatural or, or or paranormal in one way or another. So I've always been fascinated by this, but I've never had an experience that would even buttress the real possibility of any of those things, mm -hmm. um, and so. It felt to me like, uh, you know, a rip in the fabric or, or an intrusion from, you know, the other side that announced itself, you, you know, there's so little that you know. And by you, I mean us collectively, mm -hmm. that there is, to me, it was a signal of, and I don't mean this is a message from an extraterrestrial, or I don't know where it comes from, but from, from my takeaway is from the experience is that it was a reminder of how little we understand about what we understand, what we call reality, that, that, it, that these rules that we cling to, and I understand why we cling to them, because it's, it's a frightening thing for many of us to even contemplate that we are um, deeply ignorant about the overall operations of the universe and consciousness and ourselves um, that's that that can be potentially kind of an abyss that we don't want to spend too much time standing at the edge of so instead we say no these are the rules of reality these are things that are uh possible these are impossible and if you're going to introduce the impossible you know i'm going to mock that or dismiss it or 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 turn my back on but for me it was a um humbling and again i would say humbling in the sense of of there is so much that i don't know about mm. even the operations of something like the sky myself the world time where we are that mm. it's almost like every kind of every kind of small secure foundational metaphysical idea upon which your existence, your life, your family, your job, uh, your habits are built is far more wobbly than, um, than perhaps you're more you know, comfortable in assuming. Yeah. I think overall though, I, I'm not going to speak for you, but I think a, a, 
as someone myself who seeks out these stories and you know, uses them to kind of spice up the world and reality. I, I see it as a positive thing where it's so easy to get lost in like the nine to five grind, paying your mortgage, paying this bill, paying that bill, waiting in lineups for things. When when something that kind of changes the game, like a story like this that you can't explain, that's just like a, a, a huge reminder and a wake up call that there is like magic out there. And maybe it's not you know, something that happens every single day, but it still exists. And I just, I think that's exciting. And maybe that's why I personally enjoy these kind of stories so much, but I think like um, in reading your article, I kind of got the sense that that was some of the, a similar effect it had on you is just, you know, a wake up call that, you know, there's a lot more to the world than, you know, than meets the eye. Oh, absolutely. You, you, that's very well put. And, and uh, I, I agree. And, and it's, I guess it's well, it, there's a certain hopeful, hopefulness that comes with the acknowledgement of one's limitation and knowledge, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that as much as, you know, you're sort of, oh, I thought we, I thought we had these rules of physics. I thought we had an understanding of how this works and what's impossible and impossible. But when you're, when you're freed from that, there's a great, with that liberty comes an enormous new space of possibility. Um, and it invites, I think the engagement of less kind of, I need proof, you know, there's, there is a certain inclination among many, perhaps the majority of, look, I'm not going to believe it until I get proof. Right. And, yeah. Where was Andrew's camera? Why did he pull his camera out? Right. And uh, on that point, you know, very quickly, I will say, you know, because a couple of people have said like, look, what, you know, if it was so apparent and we both, my friend and I had our cameras in our pockets as all of us do today constantly. It never once occurred to either of us until after the fact to get it to pull out our camera, to pull out our phones. It was we were too um, involved in the moment to 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 do that. Now maybe if we were you know fourteen year olds, we would have it would have been you know the phones were out, but uh, it never occurred to us. But it, it, returning to you know your earlier question, I think um, as much as there's sort of on the de- the demand on the one side on one hand for uh, prove it to me. And once you prove it to me, I will accept it. There's another way of coming at these things that I think you've, you've anticipated, which is, no, 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 let's, let's maybe sort of yield ourselves to some kind of like challenge and proof and open ourselves to possibility and imagination. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what could this be? What, how do I, how, on what basis do I form my certainties? How secure am I? in my presumed certainties of what is space, what is here, what is memory, what is past and future, like that I find the latter far more exciting. Mm-hmm. So when you yield yourself to how little you know, it opens up a much wider possibility to what you could know perhaps mm-hmm. later, as mm-hmm. perhaps as a species at one time, as opposed to, I know these things, and if you're going to insert a new fact into this silo of things I know, you must, you know, climb a mountain and sort of, you know, prove it to me about uh, to this court of one. That that silo is never going to enlarge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I prefer I prefer without sort of being a believer. I I prefer the, the position of openness.
Sorry to interrupt the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and tell you about something I just posted to the nighttime premium feed. But for those unfamiliar, let me start by letting you know that there is a separate and much better nighttime podcast feed than the one you're listening to now. It's available exclusively at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. The premium feed, however, does cost about as much as a bag of chips, but it's more satisfying than a salty crunch ever will be. First, the premium feed funds the creation of this show. So if you enjoy nighttime, you have the patron subscribers to thank for keeping it alive. Secondly, the premium feed is much less annoying. Since it's listener-funded, there's no ads like this or any of the others you've heard during the episode. And lastly, but most importantly, the premium feed includes many premium feed exclusives that you won't find here on the free feed. Shortly after the release of this episode, I'll be releasing the audio from an event I hosted alongside my pal Donnie called Ghost Night. During this premium feed episode, you'll hear Donnie and I share personal ghost stories, you'll hear listeners phone in and share their ghost stories, and you'll hear us read some of our favorites. So if you're into stories of the supernatural, this bonus content may be right up your alley. If you want to subscribe to the Nighttime Premium Feed, visit patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. I should also mention all annual subscribers will receive a Nighttime Welcome Swag Pack. So again, go premium at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nighttime podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. In your your piece, you you end with this thought of uh, your mind or, or the message from them or from whatever you saw instead of being we're here to being you're here. Can you kind of describe that concept? Because I thought it was a real beautiful way to end the uh, the article you wrote. Oh, thanks. Well, I think, you know, I think a lot of times people, when they have experiences of this kind, um, are asked, well, if it is, let's say, extraterrestrials or something from another place, why are they here? What could their motivation possibly be? What are they trying to say to you? And while I understand that, line of questioning, it's a rational line of questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it puts the focus on the thing. It puts the focus on the thing, that the visitor, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, the, the witness. And that perhaps, um, you know, these experiences, as much as they invite us to speculate as to why this thing happened, I think the more interesting and immediate possible effect could be, um, who am I? Who am I in this world? Why do I, what are the things that shape consciousness? Um, Those are very challenging. Those are obviously very big, uh, challenging questions, but I, I, that's, that was a thing that, that, that's the thing that I left this experience with far more, um, far more um, uh, interestingly to my mind than Andrew, what do you think it was? A lot of people ask me, do you think it was aliens? Do you think it was a ship? Do you think it was a science, you know, a secret military operation? Like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I find that that sort of cluster of questions far less interesting than the question of having had an experience of this kind, who am I? Who am I in the relationship with all the things that I know and don't know? 
Wow. And now you're well known for writing some like pretty far out fiction. Is this kind of personal experience? Do you think this is going to have an effect on, you know, the characters you write in the stories that are experiencing these bizarre things? Like your latest book is, uh, is it like uh, a haunting in the White House. Am yeah. I getting that right? Like, yeah, I can only imagine like writing uh, fictional situations where people are experiencing this bizarre stuff would could only be changed by having experienced something yourself. Like what, what impact is this going to have on your writing? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because a lot of my fiction prior to this has been about in one way or another, the question of conviction and belief and being alone in a particular point of view and having powers or, or people around you who are challenging that or refusing to accept it. Um, and I think, I think, Prior to this experience, you know, what was, what was interesting to me and it, it, over the course of writing these books was I would give readings a lot. And, and before COVID, of course, I did a lot of, you know, public appearances and, and invariably at each one of these, there would be at least one, if not a number of people who would come up to me afterwards and say, um, you know, I want to, you know, I saw a ghost. I lived in a haunted house. Um, I uh, had a confrontation with a demonic entity. I saw a UFO, wh whatever their experience was. Mm -hmm. And these people were and are, like me, I think, reasonable, educated, rational, sober, um, of sound mind. And they, they told their stories always with an almost a, a tone of apology. Like, look, I, I know this sounds crazy, or I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to invest any, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. All I'm telling you is what happened to me. And that, that body of evidence, that this is just what people have approached me with. But when, as you know yourself, in studying this broader field, to me, the most compelling evidence, if we demand evidence of the supernatural, it is the enormous and historical body of testimony from people who have had these had, have had these experiences? It 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 is so enormous and so consistent in its character, broadly speaking, that I find that convincing. Convincing, not necessarily that there's aliens here or the ghosts are real, but convincing that there is more to reality than the kind of you know uh, rigid skeptics would demand. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll start wrapping up with this, but for, for people who want to find out more about you, maybe grab some of your books. What do they, what do they learn about Andrew Piper? Well, if they want to sort of see me kind of rambling on about stuff, probably on Twitter at, at, at Andrew Piper. So it's Andrew P Y P E R. Yeah. And if they're interested in my books, probably the best resource is my website, www.andrewpiper.com. Yeah. And, and your late, I mentioned earlier, your latest book is, uh, involves the white house and a haunting. What's the, what's the story? Where did you come up with that idea? I was just, I was Googling, uh, you know, sort of, uh, did a, I found myself in a rabbit hole. I was researching haunted houses just recreationally. Okay. Cause it's just something I'm, again, I'm interested. I wasn't looking for a, a novel topic. Yeah. Um, and I found, I knew that the white house was, there's a certain amount of lore about the white house being haunted mm -hmm. and stuff like that but it's all, I thought it was a bit sort of silly. And mm -hmm. I found um, uh, Franklin Pierce, President Franklin Pierce, who was a president I'd never heard of, Franklin Me Pierce. Either. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was two presidents before Lincoln and his wife, First Lady Jane Pierce, um, lo- well, both of them lost all three of their children very, in a very short period of time just before his inauguration. So they entered oh. the White House childless, tragically struck uh, by this misfortune. And she moved into the second floor of the White House and refused to uh, to to leave it. And was right, spent all of her time writing letters to her dead son, Benny, pleading with him to come back to her. And according to her letters, which I was then, you know, seeking out and reading, he did. He, she brought him back through conducting various kinds of spiritual summonings and and, uh, seances at the White House. And as soon as I read that, I thought, this is a novel. You know, I have to write who is, how does that affect him? Who is this woman? What's the nature of this marriage? Um, it just drew me in. So there was a piece of real fact that I extrapolated into a fiction. Yeah. So how do you do that? It, that I guess that's what people would call like historical nonfiction. Is that the right genre? Like I know like the idea of like taking a historical story and expanding it. So it's a full narrative. Like where is the line there between fiction and nonfiction? Oh yeah. That's there's, there's complicated names for it. And then, you know, the, um, there's obviously a, a whole genre of historical fiction where it, you have kind of uh, the, the, the his, history to fiction might be, you know, a ratio of 90 to 10. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you might have, okay, here's the life of Churchill. And I'm going to, you know, here's a scene where he's, you know, uh, behind closed doors having a conversation. No one could know what. That's a very established genre. In the case of The Residence, my novel, it was, you know, more like 20 to 80, where we have these facts, this woman's loss, her letters, her belief that her dead son returned to her immaterial form, not as a ghost, but she was convinced he was there. Um, And a few other curious facts about this marriage in this, in this president, Franklin, his, her husband that I found uh, strange. And so for me, it was a project of that 80% of turning those random curious pieces into into a narrative that made emotional uh, psychological sense. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm on vacation next week. I'm going to get that book and bring it with me. It, do you say the name of your, the latest is the residence? The residence. Yeah. Residence. Like the, like the house. Yeah. Or residence. Yeah. That's what the, yeah, the, yeah. No, no. The resident, like the residence, meaning the white house. So, so okay. the, apparently in Washington, if you kind of, if you're an insider, you, you don't say white house, you say the residence. Okay. I'm, I'm not a Washington insider. No, me, so neither. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate you sharing the the story of your experience at, at your cottage, but you know the story of that book sounds great too. So this is a a, a I got more than I bargained for. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. I've, I've had fun too. Awesome, Andrew. Well, thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Have a good one. I want to thank you for joining Andrew and I in our discussion surrounding his UFO experience and the surprising effect it's had on his life. People can be quick to roll their eyes at stories like Andrew's, but I've spoke to enough people to know that seeing is believing. Well, believing may be the wrong word to use. Seeing is understanding. And with that, I'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I have some thanks. First, I want to thank Andrew Piper for sharing his story with us. And if anyone listening wants to check out his work, I've added some links to where you can find him in the episode description. 
Next, a big thank you to Monty Data for contributing the music to this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please subscribe to the premium feed. You can do so at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Jason, Brendan, Valerie, and Shauna, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and let like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.